Now, there's one other thing I want to talk to you about in your notes. It's, and I think it's, uh, they put it in after the uh, uh, reading list. And it's called observation log. These are items that you submit when you do when you submit your exams. You just don't submit your exams. You'll see when you look on the website, you'll submit the exams. You'll also submit the reading and this observation log. What this is, is you, uh, when you look at it on the web, it'll tell you that they want you to... Uh, they want you to do 10 hours of observing someone who is ACBC certified. Now, I'll, I'll keep dropping back and saying NANC. I've just said it so many, so many years. But the ACBC is Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And uh, well, how am I, how am I going to do this? How am I going to uh, watch someone do counseling who's already certified? Well, there's a couple ways you can do it. If you know somebody or you have contact with a counseling center that has somebody that's certified, they would most likely be glad to let you sit in there and observe. All of us have to start somewhere, and we all started uh, that way. Now, another way to do it is to watch some DVDs of someone who is certified. In fact, if you're in this here now, you have already done three hours of this because when you took fundamentals, you watched in each weekend, you watched uh, counseling done by Randy. That counts. Just the best you can, put down the date, uh, who it was that was Randy Patton and the, the uh, session length that was an hour. So they just want you to add up running total until you get to 10 hours. So that's... That's what they're talking about here. They just want you to have some experience of observing some counseling before you turn it, turn it in. Okay, make sense? All right. Well, let's hit the let's hit the questions hard here that we've got for for this hour. So we're doing a bibliology. Basically, it's interesting how they start out start out talking about the Bible before we actually start talking about God. So if you look at some old statement of faith of different organizations, uh, the point number one often will be about the scriptures and then start with God because how we know so much about God is from the scriptures. So it depends. Uh, now, as you see organizations writing statements of faith and revising it, you'll see them now start with God. And then, you know, God is the one who spoke the word of God. So just different ways of, of thinking about it. But here, compare and contrast the Bible and its authority to general revelation and its authority. So there, this, this question is written out of a problem or an issue. And so as we work through it, I'm going to try and uncover that for you so you can see what they're wanting and where they're going. Now, the, let's look at it first. Uh, part A, basically fill in the blank, general revelation. I have uh, suggested three paragraphs here for your consideration. Uh, A, general revelation. B, special revelation. We'll come back and talk about that. That's B, special revelation. And then C is the bottom line is special, special revelation supersedes or trumps general revelation. Okay. So as we talk about the, the difference between these two types of revelation that God has given us of, of himself, then uh, you'll see where, see where we're going. First one is on general revelation is that definition. It's the revealing about God and the order of his universe that has been available to all people down through the ages. Now, the, ma the major source of this revealing is basically creation. Creation is the first evidence of the existence, the reality of God. And uh, it says in Romans 1 there, you know, is eternal power and divine nature. So... 
And you know, there's these questions that when you look at nature, you know, why is there something and not nothing? With such a great universe, there must be an adequate creator. Even uh, Einstein came to that point. He never believed in a personal uh, saving God, but he did believe in a God in his study of or a supreme being, that there had to be something behind this great and orderly. And uh, so, fortunately for us, our eyes are open to understand uh, the true God. So with such a great universe, must be an adequate creator. Great universe must be a great one. So now, verses that point to the uh, reasonableness, authority, and extent of general revelation. Take some time and look at... Uh, uh, just Psalm 19, talking about the heavens declaring the glory of, of God. And as you look at it, you know, sure, look at it for an answer, but also look at it to, to praise God for what he uh, shows us in his creation. And in there, there's the reference to Romans 1, 18 through 32. Because of general revelation... For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. And there, there it's written out. So there's a place, there's an example of where you, this is so key to understanding general revelation. That's a place where you'd probably quote and write out the whole verse. And then un, unpack what it's saying there about a general revelation. Okay, so general revelation is what everybody uh, should be able to see and know about God. Then in B, there is special uh, revelation. Okay? God has kindly given us additional revelation to the uh, general. And the Bible is the most inclusive form of special revelation now available to us. So that's why it fits under bibliology. You have general which is for everyone, all times, all places. Now we have uh, the Bible. And here's a, here I have uh, quoted for you as a reference from uh, Hebrews 1. And verses 1 through 3, you know, God has spoken to us in many times in the past, but here in Hebrews 1, he has spoken to us in uh, Jesus Christ. So sun is the, the radiance. And the scriptures are an accurate record of God speaking to us through the prophets and by his son. We talked about that uh, earlier. And sometimes what's going to happen is you answer these questions. You're going to repeat things that you talked about in, in you know, other uh, questions. Now, you don't want to take a whole page and just move it right on over. And, it's, it's easy on our computers, but it might be a phrase or something. Just read it. You're going to talk about the authority of Scripture, you know, a zillion times through the two exams, the uh, counseling and the theology, but uh, in different uh, contexts. In three, by this record, we can understand God and ourselves sufficiently. It's a special revelation that allows this to happen. And God... Thing you can't learn from general revelation is how God's love provided by grace through faith in his son has rescued us and moved us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So, and, the, and another neat thing about your questions, remember you're talking to this person across the table. Your, your answers can be rather devotional. I mean, Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians, I mean, he'd He'd break out in doxology to the Lord. You can, you can too, you know, just and giving thanks. That uh, uh, you can imagine a reader having to read your answer. You know, they'd be glad for some, uh, you know, breaking out and praising uh, of the Lord to just break it up a little bit, and and for yourself too to be excited about what He has done uh, for and on your on your behalf. Now, here's where the issue starts to get a little sticky. Yeah, special revelation supersedes or trumps general revelation. So you got general revelation. It's, it's profitable. It's, it's valuable. The general revelation um, also includes things like I talked about, uh, you know, you know en engineering. You know, engineering could be, 
in a broad sense. That could be thrown into to general revelation. These are things that we know that are, are, are true or have a high probability from using uh, science, high probability that they're correct and uh, uh, true. But uh, some want to give general revelation too high a place when it comes to counseling. So you'll hear terms like all truth is God's truth. So if it's really true, it really is God's truth. But the question is, is it really true? You will hear this referred to typically by people who are Christians and who uh, are using uh, secular counseling technique. They will say, this, this is true. We know this from the science of psychology. And so it's just as true as the scriptures. Okay. So uh, this is very uh, common. I was at a, at a lecture uh, by D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson is probably um, the most prolific writer, theologian uh, alive now. Teaches at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And uh, uh, that's the, actually the seminary for um, the Evangelical Free Church, which we're a part of, Grace Fellowship Church. And he gave a whole lecture on uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. And so, like an idiot, or I stood up at the end and I said, well, is Scripture totally sufficient for counseling? And he knew exactly what I was doing, and he said, no, all truth is God's truth. And uh, there he just did, does not see it the way uh, we see it and under, understand it. And so it'll come from different places and people you might not expect. But that's what is happening. That's where they're getting it, is that psychology and the things that have been learned in psychology are scientifically true. So just as the scriptures are true, this is true too. And then you get into problems of uh, that blank there in the double I. What if there's a contradiction between general and special revelation? Okay. So what trumps what? Well, I clearly stated that um, what we believe is the scriptures, we know they are true, and if anything appears to be in contradiction, it's, it's really only going to appear to be in contradiction by our finite mind. In reality, Scripture will always be correct, and if something appears to be in contradiction, it's, it's not really. It's, something is wrong there in our understanding or in the, the point. So, uh, so that's what's being talked about here. Here's some uh, additional notes. In God's eyes, there are uh, two different forms of revelation. They're never contradictory. If in our understanding appears that general revelation is stating something contradictory, special revelation, truth must the truth from special revelation must take a precedent. Okay? The Bible will always have authority over a gentle revelation. So that's what uh, we're, we're talking about. Okay? So that's the, uh, the issue there. Let, let me give you an example. Let's say in anger. Let's say you're dealing with somebody in, in their... A psychological system says that in anger, you must, if someone angers you or upsets you, you must always go and, and tell them. Okay? Well, that might sound like a good idea, but you know, in Scripture, it says uh, love covers a multitude of sins. It might be that not everything that happens that you have to call them to repentance on. It also says that, uh, 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 that it is a gentle answer turns away wrath. Not necessarily everything has to be 
you know, discussed to the nth degree, nor expressed anger. There's humility there of just uh, uh, looking the other way. Now, if it's, you know, the issue that the person is doing uh, compromises the glory of God, or it's a character trait over and over again that they're exercising that is sinful, certainly you should step up uh, in a spiritual way and speak to them. So these are these are where these things uh, uh, pop up. So you see the, the challenge there between general and special revelation, what they're trying to get at. And now if you, know, if you don't believe or agree with what I've stated here, don't write it because of what I've said. You present your case the best way you can as you uh, under, understand it. All right. Now, uh, let's do... Let's see, that was number... Okay, let's do number five. Okay, this is the last one. And it says here, uh, many Christians today speak of continuing revelation. Relate this concept to inspiration and the sufficiency of Scripture. We've talked about those earlier. Relate this concept to the issue of okay, uh, miracles, prophecy, and tongue. Okay, this is still... A big deal in evangelical uh, circles or conferences or conferences. Uh, John MacArthur, Strange Fire, had back in October, was it, Roger, last year? Uh, still dealing dealing with here. And basically, um, some of you are familiar with a theologian, R.C. R. Sproul, pastor theologian, said that they sort of treat the Bible as if it's a, a loose-leaf binder. And, you, you know, you sort of just keep inserting pages in it. You have the 66 books, but, you know, God told me this, God told me that. I can, can insert where I'd like. And so that's the issue here. Now, what happens when you're counseling is that uh, you will be, you, in a very short time, you will be faced with someone coming to you and saying, God told me whatever. And what are you going to do with that? And so that's part of this, this question here. It may be, may be harmless, or it could be, you know, God told me to, you know, leave my husband and, you know, marry this person. And so what are you going to do with that? So that's what they're, they're getting at here. So let's look at, uh, some of the notes here, that's the framework. Remember, we've said this before, but in answering this question, you know, is that when you're speaking to a person who's given you that God told me this thing, or I've watched this guy do miracles on TV, and the guy on TV who does these miracles said, I should live this way. You know, that's what you're trying to uh, help your counselee understand, you know, we're in a different we're in a different ballpark here with the word of word of God. So, Scripture has final and ultimate authority. Now, what you're going to talk about, or what I chose to talk about uh, here, is that the decision of the 66 books that we work with. That uh, what we are talking about theologically is that the canon of Scripture is closed. Now, when that happened, all we had was the Roman Catholic Church. So actually, it was a council of the Catholic Church, the uh, Western branch, which is the Roman Catholic Church, not the Orthodox branch, that basically decided on the, the 66 books. Now, one of the things when you're writing about that, it's not that that Catholic council decided that... The, so much that they looked at it and they decided these were the 66 books. What it was is they, they recognized that these books were special as Scripture. They recognized what it said says in Hebrews 4.12 that these writings are living and active and they have a way of penetrating to a person's soul as they read them. So it wasn't that they decided, but they were more instruments of God 
recognizing the, that this is uh, the word of God. Okay? And so that's what we, once again, the 66 books. So that's what you want to talk about there. And you can, in your theology, look up the, um, uh, look up the canon, phrases like that, to get some uh, more information on that. But that's what they're, they're looking for here. Now in B, what you want to talk about here, divinely inspired writings claim to be sufficient resource for meeting emotional and spiritual needs. Okay? Now, we need something besides the Bible if, if I'm going to practice engineering. But if I'm going to help people with their their emotional and spiritual needs, do I need something else besides the scripture? Do I need modern psychology or down through the ages have, has God given us the word of God that's sufficient for those issues? And so we believe that the word of God for these soul issues, the emotion and spiritual, there is sufficient in the scripture to address of those. Okay? So if you look through Psalm 19, you will see six benefits that are written about the scripture. It restores the soul. Now Psalm 19 in the beginning is really neat because it talks about general revelation. Then Psalm 19 talks about special revelation afterwards. It restores the soul. It makes, I really like this next one, it makes the, the, uh, it makes, the, it makes the simple wise. I got that reversed there. I got to change those notes. It makes the simple wise. It rejoices the hearts and enlightens the eyes. It, en- it endeavors forever. It's the righteousness altogether. These are the things that the Word of God does. So in conclusion, if the Word of God, which is divinely inspired, testifies that it's sufficient for soul care, counseling, then seeking answers elsewhere would be going against the word itself. All right, that statement there. So that's, that's what we're dealing with here. We don't need miracles. We don't need the speaking in tongues. We don't need additional prophecy to come that's equal to Jeremiah or Isaiah or, or to Paul to help people with their soul problem issues. Okay? All right. Now, now you really want to get down and you have to say, what are you going to deal with? Miracles, prophecies, and tongues. What do you think? Do they exist or not exist? Uh, most, I will tell you ahead of time, most of the graders believe they do not exist at this time. Good. But what are you going to do if you do believe that they exist at least in some form. If you can back that up with Scripture, then uh, you can go, go that way. The, uh, um, they accepted my exam, and, uh, uh, and a number of our people here from Grace Fellowship Church do have this, that there's some sense of a continuation of these, or at least the possibility. But you need to back it up with uh, Scripture, and so let me go through here. This idea, uh, there are varying ideas in the uh, evangelical community. This continuing revelation is, as you see there, is typically held by our brothers and sisters who would be classified as charismatic and Pentecostals. Now, at some times, they have been characterized as more focused on looking for following the latest continuing revelation or prophecy than knowing and being obedient to what's already given in the Word of God. All right? And that's where ACBC gets in, into, uh, wants to make sure that we're not in that camp there where we're looking at this continuing revelation as opposed to dealing and using uh, the Word of God. Then there's another group where a revelation has ceased. This is typically your Reformed or believing Presbyterians have been more characterized having uh, this understanding. And as a biblical reference, they use the 1 Corinthians 13, the end of the love chapter there, where it talks about uh, 
perfection has come. And when they see that, they believe that the scriptures, the 66 books, has come. And now that uh, he's a man and so forth, and so uh, now that you have the scriptures, you, it's, it's closed. You no longer need to have people like Paul writing in the 3rd century or the 21st century. That's, that's done. You don't need to have that. So, miraculous signs and wonders during the Bible times validated what was being said as, as the Word of God and validated Jesus as being from and being God. And now that the Word of God is complete, signs and wonders, you know, they're not uh, necessary. Okay. Now, if you are a person that does believe that there can be, uh, you know, uh, miracles and tongues and things like that, uh, I would caution you and, and caution you to rethink. If you really think there is prophecy like Isaiah's prophecy or Paul's prophecy, uh, that can be very uh, You'd want to look at that again. That can be very dangerous uh, for you as a person and uh, so forth. Now, one of the things you've got to be careful is, is that uh, do you still believe that there's guidance by the Holy Spirit? All right? There can be such a thing as prophecy where thus says the Lord, and it's for all time, for all people, for all churches, or there could be in particular individual guidance that you might receive from the Lord. So you need to make a distinction there, and in your answer, uh, make it clear. So let me, I'll give you an example here to show a clarification. So under, under here it says, signs and wonders may occur. Uh, now, I'm writing if, this is if I wrote it, not necessarily if you wrote it. Uh, you write what you believe. But I stated, but they do not point to a prophecy that supersedes Scripture, nor is normative to or for a Christian community. And I always, as I teach this, I always give this example. And I give this example as Mark, Mark McFadden. He's one of, one of your elders here at Grace Fellowship Church. And uh, so if uh, Mark McFadden said... God told me that we should put our next multi-site at University of Cincinnati. And he walked into the elders' meeting. There's nine, el- you have nine elders at Christ Fellowship Church. And God told Mark, that's, you know, to do this, then we just, well, if God told you that, Mark, then we definitely must do it or we wouldn't be following God. Uh, that, that's not how your elders would, would work here. As much as we respect and love Mark, and whether if it was, you know, Brad or someone else who, who sits on your elder board, we still, okay? It, it may be or it may not be true, okay? We don't do it just on his saying so. Even if God has given a particular revelation, uh, any human being can still misunderstand God. That can happen. We're, we're still the humans, even if you are serving as one of the elders on uh, the group of elders that you have here. For us, it would mean if somebody said it, we would want a confirmation from the other elders too. Okay? And... Uh, uh, that's how we would, would handle it. So that give you some idea how there is room for uh, guidance. Uh, there is room for uh, preaching the word of God, but there is really not room for having prophecy at the same level of authority as Isaiah's writings, as Jeremiah's writings, as... Paul and Peter's uh, writings. Okay, does that make sense there? All right, so don't get, con- you know, make sure you clarify what you're call- calling guidance by 
the uh, Holy Spirit uh, from prophecy of the Holy Spirit. And this question is so important to them, it'll come up again in the counseling too, and we'll get to talk about it. But let me give you an example. Uh, a lot of you know Blair and Sue Alvidras, and this was an example that I used because we were having a lot of trouble getting our people certified here at Grace Fellowship Church because they were the way they were answering this question. So I uh, had a, a phone, a long in-depth, it was actually a couple of them with Randy Patton, the executive director of uh, uh, NANC, and a fellow named Wayne Johnston. Wayne Johnston has written counseling books. He wrote one with Mac, third handbook of uh, homework. And he oversees whether a certain church can become a counseling center. And we are a counseling center, but it became a big deal of whether Grace Fellowship Church should be allowed to be a counseling center with some of the ideas that we had. And I explained it to him. I said, it is like this, that you have, we had a, a couple, they knew them, the Alvidras. They, they were following Matthew 28, where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. So they, they wanted to be very involved in the making of, of disciples. Well, there's a lot of places you can go. I mean, you can stay right here in northern Kentucky or in Tennessee where your ministry is. But then as they prayed and thought about it, they do believe that God led them in his special way to go particularly to Albania to serve the Lord. And so as I explained that to them, that's what we understand as guidance by the Holy Spirit. Going to Albania they did. They're, they're not going against anything else in Scripture. Scripture doesn't say don't go to Albania. Uh, uh, Blair, by going, by moving forward, going to Albania, he was, did it in a very slow way. Uh, you know, Sue wasn't as excited in the beginning. And so he lived, as it says in First uh, Peter 3, 7, I think, or 6, it says live in an understanding way with your wife. You know, he allowed her to come along. He followed scripture. He said, it's just not me and you sort of tag along. It says, you know, when two get married, they become one. Uh, similar desires, dreams, and direction. And they did. And uh, so following a scripture, but also having a sense that God did direct them to that particular place. So that's how our understanding. So does that help there on what's being talked about uh, there and what some of the the buzzwords are. Okay, so that's bibliology. And so uh, now you know everything. You know what you know, that at least we know what. Now you know what I, all everything I knew about it, plus what you know yourself, so you're twice as smart as I am as you write your uh, exam answers now. But you can sort of see where some of the issues are and what, what are they really asking about, because people write whole books now let's go into theology. Theology proper. Basically, when you're doing theology proper, you're going to be talking about God, uh, God as a whole. Uh, you're going to now, as we get into it, you're going to talk also about what Father, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Those are Christology, pneumatology, and things like that. And those are further questions that you're going to deal with. But now, thinking about it. State briefly, the first question, state briefly the biblical basis for and the formula, formulate the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. This is, this is a little challenge to do this. Uh, uh, Trinity, that, as you know, that word's not mentioned in the, in the scriptures in, in that sense. But, so here, I sort of have an outline for you, at least to get, get started Got five points. First one, uh, you want to make a statement to begin with about God being one with scriptural references. Okay, yes, we don't believe in a a pantheon of gods sitting up there arguing with each other and finally deciding things. We believe that really God is one. But then next part, you want to get into okay, a, a Trinity, Trinity three. You know how does this three work. And then then in 
see, you want to point to examples in Scripture that point to the existence of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you get around to uh, D here, you want to make a statement about equality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, uh, there is uh, submission of the Son to the Father, submission of the Holy Spirit to the Father and Son, but there's still an equality of nature between all three. That's what's being talked about in D. Then in E, you want to discuss challenges to Trinity view of God. All right, so that's sort of an overview or to see how the different pieces, what... So, back to A, a statement about God. There is one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 starts out, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. Right? That's referred to the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. And the Lord probably, when he walked this earth with us, he, like any good Orthodox Jew at that time, probably stated that verbally three times a day. Now, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. And so that is true. God is one. So uh, you want to say this, that God is characteristics. There's all kinds of things you could put here. I wrote infinitely perfect. Another key one is that he's sovereign over all things. And you could talk lots of things, but an aspect that means a lot to me personally is that he's a personal being. Revelation 3.20. You know, behold, or, you know, wake up. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. You know, whoever hears my voice and opens the door, you know, I will come in to him and uh, eat with him and he with me. You take that in context. You take that in a Middle Eastern, ancient context. Think about when the guests came to visit Abraham and Sarah. You know, Abraham did not sit down and eat with them. You know, Sarah was behind a screen. And uh, he he went all, Abraham went all. He did not sit. Here the Lord is a personal God is saying that he is with us and we are going to eat uh, with him even uh, now. So these are some aspects of our God. Now you want to hear, you want to be able to formulate and be a definite definition of the Trinity. Definitely use one of your theologies. Choose a definition that you relate to one that uh, you can uh, hold in your memory. So basically it comes down to God is one being who eternally coexists in three persons. Okay, Three in one, it's one being, but we do refer to the, whole, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as persons, and they have their uh, individualness. Okay? Now, C Examples pointing to the Trinity in the scriptures. You can probably think of some, some, some right off the top here, just in creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Well, that sounds like, more like, you know, Deuteronomy 6 4, you know, there is one God. Well, the interesting thing in Genesis 1 1, it uses the name for God Elohim. Elohim is actually a plural word. Now, the original hearers of that wouldn't have had the idea of Trinity right off the bat, but they wouldn't have... A lot of things that the original believers in God wouldn't understand either, but there's an indicator that... And then you go on. So that's where it says Elohim, and referred to the majestic plural. Okay, why, did, why is God uh, referred to as a plural sense? And then... Uh, you know, talks of spirit right there in the next couple of verses, hovering over uh, over the waters. Then a baptism of Jesus. Okay? There was Jesus. There was the Father saying, "This is my beloved Son," and then this Spirit coming down on the humanity of Christ. There you have all three. There's also the transfiguration. Uh, once again, you had. Uh, Two, you had Jesus, and you had the Father. They're distinct. 
And then at the uh, Great Commission, at the end of uh, Matthew, Matthew 28, you know, you have baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the, of the Holy uh, Spirit. And you have all three persons of the one God uh, mentioned that we are being bapt, uh, baptized into a relationship. So, and also you want to make an equality statement. That's with D there, in power, in glory. Same in essence, and there are some scripture references for you to, to get going. Now, here's where you want to discuss in E those challenges to the Trinity view of God. It, this is hard, uh, maintaining a proper balance within the three-in-one formula of God is challenging with our limited minds and sphere of, of uh, understanding. But now, some of you might be familiar with this next word. It says modalism. This has been a heresy in, and has been in, in and out of the church through time and even pops up today, and this is what they're really looking for. What modalism means is that there's one God, but he appears at different times and different ways. All right? So uh, it's not that you really have three distinct persons, existing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that you just have God, and then sometimes he appears, that, that God appears as a Father, and sometimes he appears as a Spirit, sometimes he appears as Jesus. But you really would never have all three at the same time. Well, that's not what the Scriptures say. But as people tried to get their mind around it, what made sense, well, in a way, three and one never really makes sense in our limiting understanding, but it's clearly what the Scriptures presents of the Trinity, that you have one being and uh, three uh, persons. So you might have... uh, Use models of like water. We have you know ice, and you have water, and you have vapor. Well, that's uh, that sort of points better toward modalism than it points toward a trinity. Uh, and you might be repenting that you use that as illustration to your kids, but well, it might got it started. But as they get older, clear it up. Or the or the egg. You don't really have an egg unless you have. You know, the three parts, the shell, the yolk, and the, the, the white part there. So um, we use those. They have their limitations. And even if you really carry it out, they have their, their heresy. So be, be careful uh, going there. So don't write your answer trying to explain the Trinity by using one. I've uh, tipped you off there on that. Okay? Uh, but as you wrestle, wrestle with it, uh, there was a fellow, his name is Vern, Vern uh, Poitras. Vern Poitras is a great, great theologian, one of the professors at Westminster Theological Seminary, and uh, uh, written Doctrine of God books. And he wrestled and wrestled with this. He wrestled with such a point, they, they had to just give him a sabbatical because he was almost going crazy trying to work it through to explain it. And uh, but fortunately, he came back, you know, just fine, but... Uh, it is really, really challenging uh, to work with it, but that's what the scriptures indicate and say. So that's what we believe. But you're wrestling with it in a, a devotional way, comprehending way, asking God to help you clearly understand it and explain it to someone it is well worth uh, the effort. Uh, Jesus is just not one of the prophets. He is, he is, he is God. And the Spirit of God is living in each each one of us. And uh, so we'll talk a lot more about that. All right. Now, two, list and develop five attributes of God and how they relate to believers' life and counseling. Okay. You, in any good theology, they'll talk about the attributes of God or they'll talk about the characteristics of God. Or one theology, I forget which one it was, but I remember reading it, and it, it didn't use either of those words. It, it, to just magnify who God is, it referred to the perfections of God. And just a neat way to think about of those, those characteristics. 
Now, you got five to pick from. There's all kinds. There's love, holiness, uh, things. And, and I've got some ideas there for you. But I, my suggestion to you is to choose attributes that you think, you, you know, would be helpful in explaining to someone. Remember, your exam is really, they're, they're forcing you to do it so that it'll, it's a learning exercise. So choose attributes that you think in counseling would be helpful for you to be able to explain about God to them. So in some of these attributes that I chose, that's what uh, I did here. Ones that you think might be helpful to use, or there's a misunderstanding about God. So you'll see the first one I chose was the sovereignty of God. All right? That is a key. It's when you don't believe. Um, it was uh, talked about Ken Sandy and Peacemaker, and that's a big premise of him, his, that he believes most people go astray in living the Christian life when they really don't believe God is sovereign and control of all things. And so they said, well, if God really isn't sovereign, then I better be over my life and take care of things and make it go. So sovereignty to work through it yourself would be valuable because in counseling, the type of counseling we believe in that is helpful and hopeful to people, sovereignty will come up a lot because what will drive people to you most often than not is that they are going through a horrendous trial. And it's not that you say they're not going through a trial. Yes, they are going through a trial. But that even in God's sovereignty, this is for his glory and for your good in the way that you handle it. So sovereignty is one to work through. Okay, So here I've got a definition of sovereignty. You can get better ones in the... In the uh, theology books you're working with and all. Here's the definition that we use here often. It's Brad uses. Sovereignty means that God limits, orders, and controls all things for his glory and our good. So if you use a quote of something that Brad says, a speaker says, or, or something I said, or written in notes, you, know, you just have to put in quotes and just give our name, whatever, however it works out. Right now, but always, always remember just not to give the theological book answer. See, under sovereignty, the double I answer, how does this attribute relate to a believer's life in counseling? Okay? So remember, a counseling must come to see his rightful place in the universe. Okay? As uh, Rick Warren said in uh, his book, he said, it's, it's not about me. You know, uh, we, we really are, in a way, we really are small. But uh, remember, in God's sovereignty, uh, you're really a big deal. Christ went and died for you. You're pretty valuable. And you're considered a uh, child of God uh, now. But he's the one that's powerful, and we're not the center of the universe. Okay. So there's, there's a lot written here about it. And so you can see how it developed. Counseling must see the attribute in light of God's other perfections. He's all-powerful, but he's also loving and wise. He's adopted us as his children. He's always working for his glory. So how about for the counselee? Since God is in control, this person's trial is not more than they can handle. I'll tell you, I have sat many times across a, counsel, a counselee, and I have thought, whoa, what they are going through this is more than they can handle. Uh, and then I have to remember that God says he doesn't give us more than we can handle. And this person sitting over across the table from me, they are absolutely hopeless. And they are riding, at least for now, on my hope in God until their hope is restored. And so you're going to have to remember yourself the sovereignty of God when you're listening to the sadness that of a lot of these trials people are, are working through and remembering the, the, also the kindness and loving nature 
of God. So work through it, not work through these not so much just for a theological answer. Work through them to reinforce and, and build up your own faith in who God is as you are uh, his, his spokesman using the word of God. Does it make sense there on sovereignty? Let's look at another one. Just, and you don't have to choose these. Choose other things, okay? There's the holiness of God. All right? Then uh, I've got written here the love of God. All right, you, you, people have all kinds of strange ideas about love. Most of us who are my age and younger, what we've learned about love are Secular songs, you know, and movies and things like that. You can, you, uh, people will say, well, you know, what's one of the greatest mov- movies ever done? Well, uh, you know, Dr. Zhivago, that's a great movie. Well, Dr. Zhivago, he leaves his wife and son, you know, it's a, it's a great portrayal of the reasonableness of adultery and desertion. If you really look at it, where Western culture and most Christians would say, well, that's a great movie. Well, it's... It's really a terrible movie on worldview of what it's promoting. But we get sucked in to thinking about love very different than God as love and what that, that means. Okay, It's always around us. So you're going to have to help people understand stand out. Make sense there on those? All right. Remember to always do the impact on counseling. See, under love, realize the other thing Ken Sandy said is that when people will move away from following God is when they don't think God really loves me. All right? How can he love me if I have this trial? And you're going to have to bring it back that God really is loving them and has provided a way for them to stand up under it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All right? So, um, omnipotence. Him being all-powerful. I mean, is he powerful enough to carry me through this trial? So that's one. You're going to have to have a good handle on and be able to explain in very simple childlike terms. Remember, God commended the believer who was childlike. And we want to be childlike as we uh, express our faith. Another one is omnipresent. All right, read Psalm seven, uh, Psalm seventy-three, the last verse, twenty-eight. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. You know, it's just beautiful to help your counselee realize that God is just not way out there. He is really close. He is closer to you than your own own breath. Okay, so those are some attributes to work through, and uh, choose ones that will be helpful. Does that help? All right. Let me. Okay. And let me see. I let me check my notes here. I think that is it for tonight. So uh, you are all mature adults, and so it is your choice. A church is going to be open. You can stay here and work, or you can go home and get rest. You can fellowship, whatever. So uh, uh, that's all uh, we're going to cover for tonight. We're going to come back and hit it real hard, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. But uh, So it's your choice. What you want to do, if it's a, a good discipline for you to sit here and do it, fine, I'll be here. I'll answer any questions that might pop up and uh, so forth. So it's up to you, whatever works best and however God is leading you. So, yes, Linda. I have a question on this number three, state be free from the biblical. I think that was also. Did I not cover that one? And formulate the doctrine of God's omniscience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that one. Ah. That was the well, that was the third one? Okay. In my notes I just zoomed by. All right. Let me do that one quickly for you. Well, that's what happened. The pages stuck together. All right. Omnis- omniscience. Okay, what's omniscience mean? Knowing. 
All right. Yeah. All right. So here under A, it's a key perfection. Characteristic trait or attribute. Okay. And you're going to see an illustration here by R.C. Sproul. Certainly use this. He said, there is not a single renegade molecule in the universe. Now, since omniscience, you're going to talk about omniscience in, in question three, don't use omniscience as one of your five in question two. You, 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 you can't do that. You know, they'll, they'll give you a rewrite. They want you to come up with another attribute. So save omniscience uh, uh, for this here. It's all-knowing. Now, uh, when or in what extent? He's all-knowing in the past. He's all-knowing at this time and into the future. Now, the problem here is in the question. Not their problem, but the problem they're getting at. See there, it says, relate this doctrine to the teaching of open theism. You might never have heard of open theism. but So I'll tell you about open theism so you'll be able to relate uh, to it. And under, look under B here. So you've got A. You're just talking about, in general, what he knows. Then B, whenever you need to reinforce your remembrance of this important doctrine about God... Where do you turn? Good. Well, you'd be with a counselee. You'd open up Psalm 139. It's a great psalm just to work through there. And I've written some of the, the verses down. You know, you hem me in behind me before. You've laid your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spear? Where can I flee? And then before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. He knows. Now, the... Uh, you want to be able to develop an illustration uh, for your counselee. And here I give an illustration that's from uh, C.S. Lewis. And basically, C.S. Lewis, as he describes it, is that there's a, a timeline. And on this timeline, we fit. All we know about is, is right now. All you, all you know is that you know, Ken skipped question number three, you know, on us. And uh, we, don't, we don't see into the future. But that, so we're just on this timeline. But God, as strange it is, as it is, and it's hard for us to imagine, is that time is a, is a limiting uh, uh, item for us, but it's also a gift from God. We use our you know, 24 hours to glorify him. But God doesn't sit on this timeline like us. God sits above the timeline. So from that vantage point, he can see the future, like he sees the present, like he sees the past, in his full understanding of knowing all things. Okay? Basically, what open theism means... Let me take you there. That's your last point. It's D. The challenge to understanding of God knowing all is open theism. And it has gotten a lot of traction even in evangelical circles of late. The main premise or idea of open theism is that God does not perfectly know the future before it happens. Okay? And uh, what they mean, future uh, open theism, they're saying the future is an open book for all, including God. Now, they do allow that God might, may exercise his power as events unfold to ensure that certain events do come to pass. All right? It, let's say when the United States was battling Germany, the Nazis. And uh, it's not that God knew every battle. God knew when every soldier would die. God knew when all these horrendous things would happen in, in camps and prison men and so forth. And uh, no, the open theists would say God did not know that. Now, he might have at certain times 
exercised his power to make the outcome come out that the Allies won and the prison camps and concentration camps were liberated, but it's not that he knew the details from beginning to end. So that's what open theism is, and that's... uh, Now, what we say here, these last three items, typically, is that that's that's contrary to Scripture. That's contrary to what... Psalm 39 saying, and other, other places. It's, and it, it's considered, uh, at least by the, the camp that we're traditionally in, it's, it's a big enough deal to consider it a, a heresy. It really creates a very, very different picture of the God uh, that we understand uh, from Scripture. Okay? So, Linda, thank you for that. Did I, did I cover did I get everything? Under theology proper? All right. Good.